How are you guys doing? I'm okay. I've been fighting a cold all week, so um, I'm prepared. I've got a, some water there in my tissue, so you'll have to forgive me if I have to grab those. Um, it's good to see you this morning. It's, it's really good to be here, and uh, I hope you're excited to be here. I know that um, you know, some of us probably wish we were at the beach, and that's fine, too. Um, I know in some ways I, I do. I like the beach. There's nothing wrong with the beach. Um, but it's good to see your faces today. Um, if you have your Bible, go ahead and be turning to the book of Habakkuk. And uh, you know, on your sermon notes, it just says Habakkuk. It doesn't really give any verses. And um, that's because, you know, we just finished Genesis. And um, we just went through Romans 14 and some of 15. And uh, next, I believe, we're going through the book of Hebrews. Um, and I don't know how long that will take. So... I kind of want you guys to feel like you've accomplished something um, <laughs> before we step back into another book with Jared, because it might be a while before we see the end of the tunnel. That's just a joke. Um, you can laugh. <laughs> uh, we're going to talk about the book of Habakkuk today. This is my favorite book of the Bible, and uh, Chelsea always gets on me because uh, a couple years ago, she was reading through Habakkuk, and uh, it really spoke to her um, and so it became her favorite book of the Bible, and so she got me to read it, and then I read it, and it became my book of the Bible. So she says always that I, she always says that I stole that from her um, when I tell people that. Habakkuk is a very interesting book. Um, there's a lot going on. Um, it's set in a very uh, sad context, uh, and so we're going to try to talk about that some today. Um, I think I've told you guys this before. When I first moved up here. Um, I moved up here four years ago to start at Southeastern uh, College, and uh, I think when I moved up here, I had $700 in my bank account, and um, my first year, I got a job, began paying for the house that I lived in, and for cable, and all those things that you figure out, uh, mom and dad really do have a lot on their plate, you know, and so I began paying for those things, and uh, working a job, and let's see, I got right, right towards the end of my first semester of college. And um, the check, a paycheck that my work had written to me, I deposited it, wrote about four or five bills that week, sent them out, and then got a notice from my bank that the paycheck that was written to me had bounced. And uh, so, consequently, the four or five checks behind that bounced. And, uh, man, you go from, in one week from having some money in the bank to not having enough to get home you know, owing the bank, the bank money. And I remember that was that was one of the first uh, real struggles I had in college uh, was that, um, man, I had no money. I mean, I couldn't even buy a candy bar. I remember uh, one day walking out of um, a BP in Wake Forest. I was on my way to get home. This was right during that time when my work was trying to figure out how to get the money back into my account and where the problem had happened and all this stuff. And I remember, I remember I had just enough money to get to my parents' house. I mean, not a cent more. I had to put it all in my gas tank, and I was really hungry. I wanted a candy bar so badly. Uh, I wanted a Caramello bar, uh, just for reference, if you ever want to buy me one. And um, I remember looking. I remember walking out of the BP, having given the lady my money, and re- realizing that I did not have enough money to buy a candy bar. And I remember seeing my face in the glass of the door as I walked out, thinking to myself, I'm poor. (laughs) It's happened. (laughs) 
Um, you know, I really wasn't poor. I knew that if I could just get home, my mom would, would give me some money. Um, but uh, that whole two or three weeks there, when that happened, was a really stressful time for me. And I mean, uh, some of you students, uh, Aaron, I see Aaron's here. He just graduated, and, and I'm sure money's taken on some new aspects for, for you. And, and for all of you who have, uh, you know, who are adults now, um, you realize how stressful life can be when things don't go your way. And uh, there are things that have happened in the past uh, year and a half, two years, that made that issue with the money seem like nothing. And I'm sure that there are things that will happen in the next three to five years that I'll look on and I'll go, man, this life sometimes can really, really get you down. And, uh, you know, in the past two years, I've had one really close friend, a guy named Buster Monk from my home church, where my dad's a pastor, uh, pass away right in the prime of his life. He had just started a motorcycle ministry for the church that was growing, that was thriving, and all of a sudden, bam, cancer. And, uh, you know, he's gone. Uh, in the past year, I've had one of my closest friends, a person who came to my house multiple times every week, um, just decide that uh, he doesn't believe what I believe anymore. And, you know, he doesn't talk to me anymore. And uh, so I say all that not to be, you know, drab and gloomy, but I think we're all in the same boat here. I just think we're all in the same boat. We've all dealt with situations. And I think the longer you live your life, I'm coming to find out, the longer we live, the more we realize that this world is not a perfect place. There are things that happen that are just terrible. And uh, I find that I've asked myself this question. And I was really asking this when my friend Buster died. And I was reading the book of Habakkuk at that time. I was asking, God, how is it that you can take something like this, and use it for good. Maybe you've had a situation in your life like that in this past year, maybe in the past 20 years. Something bad that has happened to you, and you've been asking God, God, how is it that, that this can work out for good? And so let's take a look at, look at Habakkuk uh, today. Um, and I think this is the question that Habakkuk is asking. You'll find out that as we read through, we're going to try to read the whole book today, so buckle up. Um, but I think you'll find out that as we're reading, the Habakkuk's question is really to the Lord, Lord, how is it that you can use evil for good? How is it that you can take something that is terrible in my life, in the life of the people around me, and be glorified from it? Sometimes that seems very contradictory. The central question of Habakkuk that I want us to think about today is this, God, how can you use evil Hopefully Habakkuk will answer this question for us to some degree. Um, But first we've got to look at the context. Habakkuk is uh, in the middle of a a bunch of what we, you might know as the the minor prophets from Hosea to Malachi. That's what we call the minor prophets. I'm going to refer to that section of 12 prophets as the book of the 12. Um, I believe that these books, uh, Hosea through Malachi, are actually... Uh, in the Hebrew Bible, the way the Hebrews uh, read these prophets, I believe they read them as one book. And um, hopefully it will give you some uh, clues to why I believe that. Uh, but So starting with Hosea, all the way through Malachi, these prophets uh, cover a period of time when Israel was really, really in trouble. The Assyrians had come in, destroyed the northern kingdom. Uh, In this time in history, Israel was split into two kingdoms, a northern kingdom called Israel and a southern kingdom called Judah. And the Assyrians had first come in and 
destroyed Israel, just demolished Israel. And Judah was left uh, during the time of Habakkuk. And uh, at this point, what is about to happen is that the Babylonians are on their way. The, Ch- the Chaldeans are on their way during the time of Habakkuk. And they are going to take everyone in Judah, destroy the city, and they're going to take them off into exile. I mean, this is a terrible, terrible time for Habakkuk and for his countrymen. Um, and I just want you to notice something. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 31. I want to show you how all of the Bible uh, works together. This is uh, this was really interesting to me. I woke up at about 5.30 this morning and just realized um, this verse. Got out of bed and just started kind of thinking about this. Excuse me. <coughs> Excuse me. Deuteronomy 31, look at verse 16. Moses is standing with the children of Israel here. On the banks of the Jordan River. What what was it that do you remember? We just went through Genesis that God promised Abraham, first of all, that he would give him a great nation, but also that he would give Abraham what? You can talk to me. Land, right? He would give Abraham the promised land. And so Abraham never gets to see it. We saw that in Genesis. Uh, Isaac never gets to see it. Jacob never gets to see it, and we're left with Joseph. And where are we left at the end of the book of Genesis? The children of Israel are stuck in Egypt. They're stuck in a land where they do not know the Lord. That's pretty clear from the text, that they do not know the God uh, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and they do not have the land. They're stuck as servants and slaves. And so what happens uh, Exodus, I think Jared's going to start teaching on Exodus on Wednesday nights. You'll find out um, just to kind of give you the quick shakedown. Uh, Exodus comes and Moses uh, rises up as the leader of Israel to take them out of the land of Egypt. And so Moses, you know, you know the stories, the Ten Commandments, the golden calf, um, all these different things. Moses leads them, ends up leads them, leading them around in the wilderness for 40 Years because Israel is disobedient. And finally, at the end of 40 years, Moses has finally gotten them to the bank of the Jordan. And all they have to do is cross over to the other side. And they're in the land that God promised Abraham so long ago. And look at what Moses says to the children of Israel in Deuteronomy 31, verse 16, the Lord says to Moses, behold, you are about to lie down with your fathers. Remember, Moses wasn't going into the promised land with the children of Israel. So Moses, you're not going in, but you're about to lie down with your fathers. Then this people will rise and whore after foreign gods among uh, among them in the land that they are entering. And they will forsake me and break my covenant that I've made with them. Then my anger will be kindled against them in that day, and I'll forsake them and hide my face from them, and they will be devoured, and many evils and troubles will come upon them, so that they will say in that day, Have not these evil come upon us, because our God is not among us. And I'll surely hide my face in that day because of all the evil they have done, because they have turned to other gods. And Moses goes on to say in this chapter, he's standing on the bank of the Jordan. They haven't even got into the promised land yet. And Moses is already telling them, you guys are going to get to go into the land, but you're going to forsake God, and God's going to take you out of the land. He's already telling them what is going to happen. Because you do not have faith in God, because you are trying to obey 
rules and because you do not trust him in faith, you're going to get to go into the land, but you're going to forsake him while you're there. You're going to be gone into exile. Moses prophesies the exile in Deuteronomy 28 through 32. And so we get to Hosea. Go ahead and turn to Hosea. We're going to do a lot of jumping around today. I promise it all uh, ties into Habakkuk. We get to the book of Hosea. And sure enough, what has happened? In the time of the judges, uh, well, in Joshua, starting out with Joshua, Joshua, the book, talks about the conquest of Canaan, about how the children of Israel went into the land to take it over. And they did, and they were successful. And then the time of the judges came, and there's this pattern all throughout the book of Judges that the children of Israel forsook the Lord, and so the Lord allowed someone to come in and take them over. And then they cried out to the Lord, and so the Lord sent a judge to come and save them. And so then they're saved, and then the process repeats all through the book of Judges. Then the children of Israel forsook the Lord. And so the Lord allowed someone to come in and judge them. And then the Lord brought a judge to save them, and they worshiped the Lord. And then the children of Israel forsook the Lord. And so, I mean, you see the pattern here. For hundreds and hundreds of years, you have this pattern of Israel. They'll have a king that serves God and worships God and upholds God's law and believes and trusts in God. And the nation will follow him. And then another king will come. One who does not know the ways of the Lord. One who does not know the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the children of Israel fall back. And they fall back into their idolatry. And this happens all throughout all throughout the books. And finally, Jeremiah uh, and Hosea and these prophets come and they say, All right, what Moses said would happen is about to happen, so get ready. You're going into exile. God told you this would happen. God told you what would happen if you disobeyed him, so you're going into exile. And Hosea introduces this idea. Look at Hosea uh, chapter 1, verse 2. Hosea chapters 1 through 3 uh, are an introduction to the book of the Twelve. All these books, Hosea through Malachi, Hosea 1 through 3 is kind of an introduction to these, about what God is going to be doing. And so this is a sign to Israel about what is going to happen. It says, when the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, go take yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom. For the land, Israel, commits whoredom by forsaking the Lord, by turning to other gods. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblam, and she conceived and bore him a son. The first son she bore was Jezreel. And then look in verse 6, because... Verse 6 through verse 9 is going to have a lot to say about what's happening to Israel during the time of Habakkuk. So Gomer conceived and uh, again and bore a daughter. And the Lord said to Hosea, call her name No Mercy. For I will have no mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all. But I will have mercy on the house of Judah and will save them by the Lord their God. I will not save them by bow or by sword or by war, by horses or by horsemen. And then when she had weaned no mercy, she conceived and bore a son. And listen to this. The Lord said, call his name, not my people, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. And this is a preview of what happened during Habakkuk's time. The nation of Israel, when Habakkuk is on the scene, has gone so far from the Lord that the Lord has said, No mercy. 
I'll not have mercy on you any longer. And the Lord has said, you're not my people. And I am not your God. This is pretty powerful statements. By the time we get to Habakkuk, Israel is, the northern kingdom is totally fallen. And Jerusalem is on the verge of falling. The Babylonians are on their way. Moses said it would happen. Hosea said it would happen. And now it's here. And so let's look at Habakkuk chapter 1. We're just going to read the first four voices. Uh, verses, voices. <laughs> to begin with. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. And this is what Habakkuk says. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help? And you will not hear. Or cry to you, violence, and you will not save. Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. I want you to notice uh, and underline, if you will, in your Bible, verse 3 of chapter 1. Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? I think that's the question that Habakkuk would have us ask. I think it's the question that obviously Habakkuk is asking God. I think it's the question of the whole book is that, God, how is it that you can look at iniquity, that you can look at evil and not do anything about it? It's a very scary question because indeed we do see evil going on in our world. I mean, honestly, I look at something like September 11th and I, and I, I kind of ask myself, God, if you are who you say you are, how can you look at something like that and allow it to happen? <coughs> From Habakkuk's point of view, The Lord is gone. From Habakkuk's point of view, he's looking at the situation and the circumstances in his life. And the Lord is nowhere to be found. Perhaps you've been in that situation. Perhaps you're going through it right now where you've got something going on in your life. And and you're looking at it and you're going, you know, I really don't see how God is working in this. Uh, This was something when my friend Buster was dying. This was a verse that I really thought about a lot. That I really could connect with and think, man, this is... This is really how I feel. Why do you idly look at wrong, Lord? And from Habakkuk's viewpoint, God is nowhere to be found. And you know what? In many cases, I think he's right. Up until this point, God has always revealed himself. Uh, You'll remember uh, when uh, Abraham took Hagar. We went through the book of Genesis. Abraham took Hagar to, to try to... Bring forth the child that God had promised. And uh, she bore him a son, Ishmael. And then Sarah had beef with Hagar. Sarah was Abraham's wife. Didn't like Hagar. Sent her out. And Hagar goes out into the wilderness. And God reveals himself to Hagar. Do you remember the name uh, that Jared said that God used to reveal himself to Hagar? I am the God who what? Sees. I am the God who sees. I am the God who is there. And all throughout Israel's uh, existence as a nation, God has always revealed himself as the God who is here, who is present, who sees. Um, 
specifically, I mean, from the first time he introduces himself, this is what he has to say about himself is that he's the God he sees. Look at uh, Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. Remember I, I said that Israel had been dwelling in Egypt. They did not know the Lord. They did not know his name. They did, they did not uh, know who he was. In fact, the children of Israel, when they were in Egypt, before God had revealed himself to them, they were worshiping the gods of Egypt, praying to the different gods of Egypt. And so the Lord brings Moses to the burning bush to reveal himself to him. And this is really the first time that God reveals himself. And this is the first time that God gives himself a name. Verse 7, the Lord says to Moses, Surely I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. The Lord says this over and over in this passage, that I have seen, that I have heard, and that I know. I have seen the oppression which the Egyptians have oppressed them with. And then in verse 14, Moses asks, God, when I come to them and I introduce you, who am I going to say has sent me? God says in verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am, Yahweh, the name of God. He gives Moses a name, Yahweh. And literally, Every time we see that throughout the rest of the Bible, anytime you look in the Old Testament and you see the word Lord, L-O-R-D, all capitalized. Anytime you see that, that's literally the name Yahweh. And anytime you see that in the Bible, it is supposed to remind you of this passage, that God is a God who sees, who hears, who knows. He is. I am. I am present. And yet something interesting happens as we read in Hosea a moment ago, Hosea, God says to have one child and call that child no mercy. But then God says, for the next child, name that child, not my people. Because Israel is no longer my people and I am no longer Israel's God. In other words, Israel has moved so far away that the name that they were supposed to remember, Yahweh, I am, I am here, I am present. God has now said, because they've been so disobedient, God has now said, I am not. I am no longer present with you. I am no longer there with you. And it is for this cause that other nations have come in to take over Israel And Habakkuk is left asking, Lord, how is it that you can idly sit by and look at wrong things happen? For hundreds of years, Yahweh has led Israel. Now the idea of his absence is unthinkable. And the Lord knows this. The Lord knows how terrible a thing this is for Israel. Look at what he says. Look at the Lord's answer in verse 5 of Habakkuk 1. Habakkuk wants to know, God, how is it that you can idly look at wrong? So the Lord's going to answer him. (coughs) Excuse me. The Lord answers him in verse 5 saying, Look among the nations and see. 
Wonder and be astonished, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. Now, this verse has been really abused throughout the years. I uh, I have heard this verse used in so many ways. People use it to talk about, look and see, the Lord is doing something marvelous that wouldn't you wouldn't even believe it if it were told. God is not saying that. I want you to realize that God is not saying, look and see this wonderful thing I'm doing. God is saying, look, you've been disobedient for so long. Look, I am about to do something that you thought I would never do. I've been leading you for hundreds of years and I have put up with you for hundreds of years. And now I am about to leave you. And I'm about to work in another nation, the Babylonians, to come in and destroy you. Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence. All their faces forward, they gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose might is their God. God says, I'm about to do something unimaginable. You're not even going to believe this, but I'm about to leave you, Israel, because I said I would in the beginning if you disobeyed. Back in Deuteronomy, God said, I will do this. And here we find that God is a God of his word. And uh, somehow God is going to use this evil to bring about good. So let's keep moving through the passage. Let's look at... um, uh, chapter 1, 12 through 21. Habakkuk's second complaint to the Lord. He says, Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of pure eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet, so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet, for by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look to see what he will say to me, what I will answer concerning my complaint. In other words, Habakkuk is standing. And now not only, you know, Habakkuk's first question was this. And this always blew me away when I read the book the first time through. Habakkuk's first question is, 
God, how is it that you can sit by and idly watch evil happen? And God's answer is, is kind of scary. God says to Habakkuk, well, I'm not idly watching it. I'm the one using it. I'm the one using this evil. And I didn't cause the evil. I, don't, I want to be careful here. God is not the cause of evil. But God is using evil in the life of Israel. And so we just read Habakkuk's second complaint. And I want you to look at verse 13 specifically because I think this is the, the key at what uh, Habakkuk is trying to get at. He says, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? Israel was a wicked nation by this point. Excuse me. Israel was a really wicked nation by this point. Um, But they weren't as wicked as the Assyrians. They weren't as evil as the Chaldeans. And this is Habakkuk's complaint. This is his frustration is that, God, I know that we have sinned. I know that we have done wrong. But how is it that you can take something more evil than us and judge us with that? And again, that might be a question that you've had on your mind. God, how is it? I come to church every Sunday. (laughs) I didn't go to the beach on Labor Day weekend. (laughs) You know, God, I I, I didn't go to the WWF event. (laughs) I didn't do this. I didn't do that. Pick your, your poison, whatever it is. God, I didn't. I don't do this. I don't do that. God, how is it? How is it fair to me that you would do something to me because of how good I have been? And I just ask you the question today. How good are you? I mean, I think this is the question that I have to wrestle with when I read this text. Is that, yes, it frustrates me when something bad happens. I don't like having one of my closest friends betray my trust. But instead of getting uh, angry and asking, God, how is it that someone who comes to my house every week and sits with me and prays with me and reads the scriptures with me, how is it that they can be living a, a completely double life when I am doing what you want me to? That's easy for me to say, God, when I, you know, I'm in seminary, I'm learning about your word, God, I'm teaching your people. And I think God looks at me. And he asked Jonathan, how good are you? To whom are you comparing yourself? And I ask you the same question. How good are you? And to whom are you comparing yourself? Now, are you comparing yourself to Assyrians and Chaldeans? (laughs) Uh, Are you comparing yourself to Al-Qaeda? Oh, God, you know, I haven't bombed any federal buildings. Are you comparing yourself to Skid Row? Are you comparing yourself to Jesus? I I just think that this passage takes on a different light when we look at who Jesus is. Then we ask the question, God, not, we don't ask the question, how is it that the wicked swallows up the one who is more righteous than he? I think we realize, you know what, God, um, we're all wicked. Compared to your son, we're all wicked. And, and I think we just realize that I'm, we're pretty selfish. 
and we do what we want most of the time. I mean, I think if we were really honest and, and if you could, um, you know, see what goes on in my head, you probably wouldn't be here listening to me today. Um, but don't be so self-righteous because if I knew what went on in your head, I wouldn't talk to you. And this is where humility steps in, church, as a family. This is where humility steps in and we realize that none of us has it together. That bad things happen. And bad things just don't happen to good people. Bad things happen to people who are bad. And we're all stuck in a situation. Thank you, Adam, for sinning when everything was perfect. But we're all stuck in a situation. And I think we have to realize that were we in the garden with him, we would have done the same thing. We would have looked at the fruit, saw that it was good to the eyes, that it would make us wise, and we would have ate it. And so let's continue working through this text because I think that's what we're going to have to arrive at. And I think that's what God is going to help us arrive at through this text. (coughs) So God, next question. How is it that you can use people more wicked than us to judge us? Let's see what God says. Chapter 2, verse 2. And the Lord answered me, write the vision. Make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. But the righteous shall live by faith. And we see that a few times in the New Testament. That the righteous live by faith. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol. Like death, he never has enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects all his uh, own peoples. Now, verse 6. Pay attention here. Shall not all these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for him and say, Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own. For how long? And loads himself with pledges. Will not your debtors suddenly arise? And those who awake, and those awake who will make you tremble, then you will be spoiled for them. He's speaking against Assyria. The Lord is speaking against the Chaldeans and Assyrians right now. Then you will be spoiled for them because you have plundered many nations. All the remnant of the people shall plunder you. For the blood of man and violence to the earth to cities and all who dwell in them. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house, to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have forfeited your life. For the stone will cry out from the wall and the beam from the woodwork respond. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, it is not from the Lord of hosts that people's label labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea woe to him who makes his neighbors drink you pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness you will have your fill of shame instead of glory drink yourself and show your uncircumcision this next part is key the cup And the Lord's right hand will come around you, and utter shame will come upon your glory. The violence done in Lebanon will overwhelm you, as will the destruction of beasts that terrified them, for the blood of man 
and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. What prophet is an idol when its maker has shaped it? A metal image, a teacher of lies, for its maker trusts in his own creation when he, misses speech, when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, Awake, to a silent stone arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Now, verse 16 is where I want you to really key in. We've seen so far, Habakkuk has said, Lord, why do you idly look at evil? And the Lord says, I'm not idly looking at it. I'm using it. I'm the one who's causing this to happen. I'm the one who is directing the Chaldeans to come in and destroy you. And so Habakkuk has a problem. Lord, how is it that when we... Lord, we've been evil, but we have not been as evil as them. How is it that you can use something more evil than us to judge us? And here is the Lord's answer. Because one day I will stand as judge over them as well. Now, I want you to understand something, church. I don't know what all of you are going through. I know what a lot of you are going through, and I pray for you. I know that some of you are going through some family situations right now that stink, that just absolutely stink, that are not good. I know that some of you have lost loved ones in the past year. I know that some of you are dealing with an economy that is going down the chute. And you're wondering whether you're going to make rent next month, maybe. I know. And perhaps you have asked the question, Lord, why is it that this happens? Why is it that we have disease? Why is it that we have death? How is it that you are using this in our life? And the answer that the Lord has for why they're these evil things happen, why is it that someone like the Chaldeans can come in who are more wicked than Israel and judge Israel is because the Lord will one day stand as judge over that. I don't know what your situation is, and I don't want to... I want to be careful about spiritualizing this text and really allegorizing this text because I don't know that Habakkuk is really saying to us today, this is what the Lord's going to do for you. But I do know what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I do know that although death reigns today, it will not reign forever. Amen? I do know that while disease is in its heyday today, it will not last forever. There is a time coming when death will be swallowed up in victory. There is a time coming when our Lord says, today you are fighting this, but you will not always fight it. Indeed, Christ said this to his disciples. He said, in this world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. I think this is what the Lord was speaking to Habakkuk. And the the, the unfortunate thing for Habakkuk is this. God does not say to Habakkuk, oh, well, since you've recognized me, I'm going to remove the pain from your life. Because you have understood who I am, just because you know me does not mean 
that I'm going to make it feel better. In fact, the Lord says, no, I'm a God who says he will do things, and I'm a God who does what he says. And so I said back in Deuteronomy that you would leave me, Israel, and that because you would leave me, I would not be present with you, and other nations would come in and destroy you and seek to harm you. And the Lord does that. And the Lord says that no, the Chaldeans are coming. Life will be hard. I don't mean to be so depressing to you today. Um, I, I really, um, I really wish that in the future I, I would really feel good about speaking about something that was encouraging to you. Um, but I think I'd be feeding you a lie if I told you that if you just had faith in God and that if you just recognized who he was, that things would go well for you. And the reason I think that would be a lie is because it didn't happen in Christ's life. When we look at the life of Jesus, we see the man who perfectly knew who God was because he was God himself. We see a man who honored God in everything he did, and yet we also see a man that has suffered more than any man alive. And so I offer you this comfort, that although the pain in your life, the frustration in your life, death, although those things are not going to disappear, the wonderful thing is that we serve a God who suffers with us. He's not immune to our problems. He's not immune evil and suffering. He's a God that comes and suffers with us. And he is a God that offers us a way out. A God that offers us a way out. And I think that's what Habakkuk is realizing towards the end of this, is that the Lord says in verse 16 of chapter 2, the cup of the Lord in the Lord's right hand will come around to you. He's saying to the Chaldeans, hey guys, what goes around comes around. And you might be used as my instrument to do harm to my people Israel now, but you better watch out because the things that you would seek to do to Israel will be done unto you. There will be retribution. And he points out how profitless it is to believe what the Chaldeans believe. In verses 18 through 20, How foolish it is to believe in something shaped with human hands, out of metal or out of wood, speechless idols. And so here's Habakkuk, bless his heart. He recognizes who the Lord is. He's not the one in Israel who's doing the wrong. He is a prophet of the Lord. And yet he's got to go through the same thing that Israel is going to go through. And the Lord has told him, it's going to be just as bad for you, Habakkuk, as it was for Israel. I'm not going to take back what I said. I'm going to do what I said. But just wait, Habakkuk, because what goes around comes around. And my people will be renewed to myself. The reason that God can use evil in your life and in my life is because one day he's going to stand judge over evil. It's because one day he is going to stand over every death, every disease, every wrongdoing, Every betrayal, he's going to stand judge over. And so I think with that, we have to read what Habakkuk's answer is. Look at chapter 3. The prayer 
of Habakkuk the prophet according to Shigianoth. O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work. O Lord, do I fear. And it's okay, church. Let me just say this to you. It's okay to doubt. I've never met a single honest believer in my life who when they went through something difficult, they didn't have a moment of doubt. Fathers, when you're standing in the pool and you want your child to jump into you, and they wonder whether or not daddy can catch me, and they decide in that moment, I don't know that I can trust him yet, and so they decide not to jump into your arms, do you love them any less? You turn your back on them because they had doubt. And I would say, no, you love them more and you want them to trust you more. And I think that's what we see with the Lord. Habakkuk is okay expressing fear to God and it's okay for you to do that. It's okay for you to weep. It's okay for you to cry. It's okay for you to doubt when you are faced with something difficult. Habakkuk goes on to say, in the midst of the years, the years that he's about to go through, the exile the rough times ahead in the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. What? In wrath, remember mercy. What did God say at the beginning of Hosea? Hosea, name your child, no mercy, for I have no mercy on Israel. And Hosea begs, Lord, in the middle of these years that we are about to go through, in this life, remember mercy. Look back at Hosea chapter 2, verse 23. Hosea 1, the Lord says, No mercy, for I will have no mercy on Israel. And then in chapter 2, the Lord describes what they're about to go through. They're about to suffer hard, difficult times. But at the end of that time, the end of those struggles, in verse 23, the Lord comes back and he says these words, I will have mercy on no mercy. (laughs) And I will say to not my people, you are my people. And he shall say, you are my God. And uh, man, I look at Habakkuk. What he had to go through. The evil that he had to endure. And uh, he goes on to say in verse 13, Lord, you went out for the salvation of your people. He's prophesying of a coming day. For the salvation of your anointed, you crushed the head of the house of the wicked. I think this is an exact reference to Genesis chapter 3. That one day, one will come, an anointed one who will crush the head of the serpent. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. You pierced his own 
arrows, uh, you pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors who came like a whirlwind to scatter me. Rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret, you trampled the sea with your horses and surging of mighty waves. I hear and my body trembles, my lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters my bones, my legs tremble beneath me at what is about to come in my life. It's not going to get easy. Yet, Habakkuk says, yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. And that this last bit, I just ask that we make this our prayer in this life when struggles come that we would think about these words. Now the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines. The produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. Though the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Let's pray. (coughs) (coughs) Family. This life is not going to get any easier. Um, If you haven't figured this out yet, then you're probably a toddler. (laughs) Because everyone in this room knows that life is difficult. It's not easy. But I encourage you. The things that now harm you will not be here forever. You know, the Chaldeans did come in. And they did take over Israel and Judah and carried them off into exile. But amazingly enough, after only a few short years of reign, the Chaldeans were taken over by someone else. They were destroyed and Israel was set free. And you can look in the earth today, you can search far and wide, high and low, You can find a lot of Israelites, but you can't find any Chaldeans. You can't find any Assyrians. And I encourage you, church, today you can look high and low, far and wide. And that there's a coming day when you can look and you'll see the people that you see in this room today. You won't see any disease. There's coming a day when you won't see any death. That's because of Jesus. It's because he's triumphed over death. It's because he lives. We might live also. I think that's the message of Habakkuk. Is that while we're here in this life, we wait quietly for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. So I ask you today, are you really trusting in the Lord? Are you really waiting on Him? Do you need to give yourself to Him again? Do you need to just simply trust Him again? We're going to sing in just a moment, and I just ask you, if you need to do that, you can come down front. You can pray. You can pray with me. Maybe there's someone in the room that you need to pray with.